You're listening to episode 13 of the In The City Podcast. And welcome to In The City, a podcast dedicated to advancing hope. Crafting purpose and shaping transformation. Your host is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith. Whether you are working from home, in the car, or listening at work, this podcast is dedicated to helping you live out your faith in the city. And now here's your host, Jonathan. And hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of In The City Podcast. My name is Jonathan. So great to be with you this summer afternoon. I don't know about you or where you are, but I am in the beautiful Orlando, Florida, and I gotta tell you, when it gets to this time of year, it is hot. I mean, it's hot weather, and uh, it is sultry. We've already had a tropical storm blow through. I don't know if that means it's gonna be a busy tropical uh, storm season. I hope not. Uh, but it certainly could be. But, you know, regardless of the weather, you know, it doesn't matter what time of year, but summer times can be a great time to kind of take a, a shot or a look at the year so far and to look at your goals, to look at where you are in life and to sort of reassess the second part of the year. And that's exactly what I do. It seems like I've been doing this forever. And I'm not sure if it's just a function of being uh, in June or having busy uh, springs, uh, Whatever it is, it seems like that my life is really structured not so much around the end of the year, like uh, December and January, but actually it seems to be that my years are actually uh, really begin in July and they go to June. In other words, it's it's almost follows you know the academic season of um, of life, you know, of school. And it's like you just never get out of it. So for me, uh, and it may be just a function of the fact that I've been in a lot of graduate school for a very long time. For me, June is that time where I like to take the opportunity to sit down and to just really kind of, you know, step back and think about what I'm doing and to think about uh, where I'm in life, and then to try to understand how I'm going forward. And so today, we're going to be talking about calling. And that's one of those things where you have to stop in your life and to slow down just enough to see and to hear that or to listen to, is probably a better way of saying it, uh, to listen to that calling, that voice that is inside of you. You know, all of us have a voice. I really do believe this. All of us have a voice inside of us. The question is whether or not it's God's voice or your voice. And if it's God's voice, what is it or what does it take to discern that voice? And so today we're really going to be talking about calling and to talk about what it means to be called and how do we really know we're called and how can we really determine that? And so, you know, if you've been a Christian, you know, particularly an evangelical for any length of time, you probably have heard the word calling being thrown around. I mean, 
you know, that, uh, you know, whether you're in, in uh, a Presbyterian church or a Baptist church, an Anglican church, a Methodist church, whenever a person says, I'm feeling a calling, that is that they are expressing some kind of internal desire that says that they want to enter usually vocational ministry. That is that they want to pursue a career working in some kind of church vocation. But I actually think that that definition of calling is a bit narrow. And let me see if I can just you know, build my case here for you. Uh, instead, I think if we were to approach calling this way, we could approach it as a compelling internal voice that is inside your mind that only you can hear. Now, let me just let me just say that again. You know, a calling is that compelling internal voice that's inside your mind that only you can hear. You know, the truth is we have inner dialogues with ourselves, don't we? I mean, you you know, sometimes my inner dialogue is a bit nutty, but, um, you know, we have these internal dialogues where we're trying to process through, uh, you know, a life or we're trying to, you know, solve a problem or, you know, whatever it is. Now, I'm not talking about little voices that, you know, are, you know, sort of what, you know, a sociopath or a psychotic person saying, I'm hearing voices in my head. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that inner dialogue where you are hearing and sensing something that your life is meant for a greater purpose and somehow you have this dissatisfaction in your present circumstances and you are feeling compelled towards something that is much bigger and greater than you. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about whether or not you should go buy the car or act in some kind of inappropriate uh, fashion. I'm talking about something that is genuine, that is God-given, that it that really comes from the inside. You know, uh, one way that you can do this is is uh, think about it as this way. I have a friend of mine who described uh, the word compelling. And he said, you know, you, you know that you're dealing with a competitive or a compelling calling when a person says, you know, I have to do that. You know, whatever it is, I have to do that. You know, you know, I mean, it, it, it's it's so deep down inside of you. It's so incredible. It is so uh, amazing that you say to yourself, I have to do that. And I think that when that is the internal drive inside of you, I think this is how you know you're dealing with a, with a genuine calling. I mean, I really do think that's how you know. Now, this doesn't translate into immediate vocational work. And I and just hear me say that. What I'm talking about is trying to find a way where we listen to that internal voice inside in slowing life down enough to do this. Now, let's talk about a couple of examples here. You know, one of the best examples of calling that I think that comes out of the Bible is, is really the call of Abram. You know, we're right there in Genesis 11, but then in the transition between Genesis 11 in the first part of chapter 12, you know, God says to him, go and leave your country and go to a land that I will show you. Now, the emphasis on Abram's calling is this. He says, go. Now, he gives this incredible description of what Abram is going to realize if he goes, but he still has to go. He still has to listen to God and to act. 
And I think it's remarkable to read the story of Abram and then later Abraham as the Lord changed his name. But it's a remarkable story because God appears to him and you know, we don't really know if it was an internal voice or if he had an epiphany, that is, that God just showed up one day. You sort of get the idea that perhaps God did show up and say, Abram, I want you to take off and do this. But I sort of get the feeling like, you know what? I think this is a much more powerful internal drive. It is something that is inside of him. It's something that is compelling Abram to go. You know, the next, really the next best example is Moses. Now, Moses had the burning bush, so I get it. I mean, Moses, he's he's walking out there, and all of a sudden he sees a burning bush, and, uh, you know, God speaks through this burning bush and tells Moses that he has to go. Now, I get that, but it's still a calling because the challenge of the calling from God to Moses was to do something that he was not equipped to do. It was it was overwhelming to him. I mean, he was going to go to the superpower of the ancient world, the leader of the ancient world, uh, essentially, the man who had the most powerful army with all of the Egyptian chariots, and he was going to challenge Pharaoh and to challenge him to let Go a group of people who have lived there for 450 years. I mean, think about the calling that was on Moses. I mean, that's incredible. It's compelling. It's overwhelming. And it was Moses' work. You know, but there's also another great example, one that I think is probably not so overwhelming as Moses, but it, but it actually functions differently. The third one is Jonah. I mean, Jonah, he heard a calling by God to go and preach to the Ninevites, and you know what? <laughs> he took off the other way. I mean, he says, you know what? Hey, thanks, God. I don't think so. I'm not interested in that. I think what I'm going to do is board a a boat. I'm going to get on a cruise ship, and I think I'm just going to take off and go into the opposite direction. Of course, if you're familiar at all with the Bible story of Jonah, um, God brings a storm of life into them. He is thrown over sea. He gets swallowed by a whale. Three days later, Jonah's saying, Lord, uh, you know what? I think I'm past this, and I realize I've made a huge mistake. And then uh, the whale spits up Jonah onto the shoreline. Jonah eventually goes to the Ninevites and preaches, and he does exactly what God called him to do. In each of these examples, though, in each of these three examples that I've given you, there is a command that precedes a vision. There is a this compelling drive that there's something inside of the person that is compelling them to move forward and to do something and to accomplish something great. Here's the thing. You have a calling in your life, and it may not be to challenge the superpower of the ancient world. It may not be to leave your land or whatever it may be, and it may not be, and you may actually be willing to do it, but you simply don't know how to do it, unlike Jonah, who was unwilling to do it. And But you're saying to yourself, am I really called to, do I have this calling? Or you may say, I, I, I think I have a calling, but you know, I'm frankly really, really scared to answer this call. I'm really scared. And so, you know, let me transition here for just a minute and kind of give you a couple of barriers to calling because 
I, I, you know, I went through this. I mean, years ago when I was working this pharmaceutical job as a, as a drug rep, I mean, I was getting up every day. I mean, it was just drudgery. Every single day I was going out, I was doing my thing. Um, I would put on something called my Smitty. Now, Smitty was my alternative sales persona. So, I mean, I even had Smitty on my name tag and I go, I introduce myself. I'd say, Hey doctor, you know, my name's Smitty. How are you? And people look at me like your name goes by Smitty. And I did. And it was just a sort of, you know, superficial, uh, sales persona. A lot of people call me Smitty today. It's kind of funny. Uh, the people that I know from years and years back, they, they still, Hey Smitty, how you doing? And it, but it was something that I created in order to be successful in that moment. But that's but Smitty was not my calling. Smitty was not the guy that I ultimately wanted to be. And it certainly wasn't coming from the inside. It was it was me responding to the market and saying, OK, I'm going to be this guy at this moment. But when when I was coming to calling, as I was really begin to wrestle with what God was calling me to do, which I felt at that time was to eventually be a pastor, which I am today um as i was really going through it there was just some barriers in my life that was really preventing me you know from moving into my calling so let me give you uh, just what i think are three uh, huge barriers to calling and the the barriers that i had to go through really before i was able to respond okay so number one here it is first of all money You know, how am I going to pay my bills? I think that this is probably universally one of those uh, basic questions that it doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur, if you're trying to start a new business, uh, if you're trying to do something new, if you're trying to go back to school, no matter what it is, there's always this first line issue of saying, you know, how am I going to pay my bills? And that really, you know, if you think about our Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which I think still is one of the greatest uh, standards out there for understanding human nature, you know, Maslow says basically is that our physical needs, our base needs at the very bottom are the ones that have to be met first. And usually money is the foundation for meeting our needs. For example, you need money to pay your mortgage so that you can stay in your house. It doesn't matter if it's a mortgage or if it's a rent payment. If you don't have a place to stay, you're not probably really interested in listening to the voice that's inside of your head, are you? No. And I think that that just speaks to the the fundamental realities of money and how it functions. So we always ask that question, how am I going to pay my bills? Now, if you've ever been around corporate coaching and uh, the corporate coaching industry, I mean, it's a huge industry. A lot of people are corporate coaches and, and business coaches. In fact, I always make the joke, and, and, and it's not a really true, but I mean, there's a lot of great coaches out there, but a lot of people I think say, you know, I think I just want to coach people and get paid for it. I mean, that sounds great. And if you have a great coaching relationship with somebody and that you're paying them, that's fine. But a lot of times I think that there's a lot of coaches out there where I'm just saying to myself, I, I just think you just didn't like your job. And so you decided to become a coach. 
And, uh, you know, okay, maybe that's a little harsh, but, um, but sometimes coaches have good things to say. So, you know, a lot of times in, in a lot of professional development courses that I've been a part of, one of the questions that comes up, uh, or when the, one of the questions is when you're trying to d- design the, you know, the life of your dreams, uh, that's usually how it starts out, right? Uh, they'll say this, uh, what would you do if money was not a consideration? I, you know... <laughs> Honestly, if money wasn't a consideration, I would probably be just be sitting out a beach somewhere on Sanibel Island, you know, uh, drinking pina coladas and watching the boats go by and perhaps out there fishing every single day. I mean, if money wasn't an option, you know, frankly, I may not be doing what I'm doing today. I don't I don't know that that's a great question, but I do think it's valuable in removing that baseline of money in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think a better question is this. If all of your basic needs were met, if all of your basic needs were met, and that is is that they were fully functional and you had the resource of time available, what would you do? Think about that in another in a different way. If the number one barrier to your calling is how I'm going to pay the bills, then really the issue isn't just money, but it's also time. So if money is not an issue, and now it becomes a question of how you spend your time and all of your basic needs are met, then the question really is, is how are you investing the time? How is it that you're investing the rest of your life? And so I think that that becomes a big barrier to pursuing our calling because we don't think that we should invest our life or we might even think that, hey, you know, I envision my life this way, but I have this hang up and I'm not sure how to transition from this basic model of just trying to survive to moving into a life where you're thriving. And, I, and that really is a huge barrier that has to be considered. But I think it's an important question. And I think it's important to recognize that that barrier is in place. But don't let it be your final decision maker. Here's the second barrier to pursuing your calling, all right? And here it is. It's close relationships. You know, I, I and this has been so true in my own life and I hate to admit this and and for those of you who are close to me I'm not speaking of anyone in general but I I just have to tell you that there have been close relationships personal relationships where I invested into that emotional you know I really made that invo- emotional investment into them and perhaps maybe even put too much um, uh, weight onto their words But when I would go to a person and say, you know, this is how I'm feeling and, um, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. And then all of a sudden you just see this reaction, this fearful reaction. And and the fact of the matter is, is that very often the closest people to you are the ones who will voice the strongest opposition. I mean, it's just as simple as that. Very often those who are closest to you are the ones who will voice the strongest opposition. And here's why I think this is true. I think it's true because ultimately, ultimately I think people have a fear of failure. I mean, think about it. I mean, if somebody were to come to you and, and you know, I would say, you know, or let me let me put it to you, they would come to me and say, you know, hey, Jonathan, I'm thinking about investing in all of my money, uh, my entire life savings in the lottery tickets. 
Well, you know, because it's this huge Powerball payoff. I mean, it's it's $1.5 billion. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, here in the state of Florida, the, the lottery at one point became $1.5 billion. Only three people won that lottery ticket. It was amazing. It's an, it's an amazing thing. But what if somebody came to you and said, you know, I, I'm just feeling called to invest all of my money into the lottery. That's an incredibly insane idea with super high risk um, because there's a, the, the reality of that even working is still so remote because of the odds. The odds are just so far against you. But a lot of times people approach what you're talking about, the calling that you have with that high risk, insane uh, mind. In other words, their minds automatically go to the very worst possible scenario and then they work backwards towards whatever it is that you're trying to do. And it's insane. It's ludicrous because usually it's it's coming out of the person's fear of failure and they're, they are trying to counsel you because they themselves don't have the courage to act. And I can't tell you how many times that that, is ring, that rings true. Now, I got a great example of this. Just yesterday, um, I had the opportunity to run into my old boss, the guy that I actually submitted my resignation to. I mean, it was just, it was wonderful. I mean, I haven't seen this guy in years and, and really haven't had a deep and meaningful conversation with him in just absolute years. So it's been eight years since I had the opportunity to say, you know what, here's my resignation. I mean, this is the guy who just promised me all of the money in the world. That really wasn't that much money, um, by comparison, but, um, you know, I remember because we were chatting, he goes, you know something, when you did that, he said, I thought you were crazy. And I, and, and the truth of my, my response was, was like, of course, you, I, I was crazy. Uh, I was absolutely insane in the sense, in this sense that if you were to measure my decision by purely rational choices that whether or not I should do this or I should not do that, there was not a good outside reason a compelling reason to just simply quit and to go to seminary. And so when, if I were to go to him, you know, he's just looking at me like you're, you're, you're crazy. But then he said something and here it is. And this is so, so good. Are you ready? He said to me, you know what? In a way I was really envious of you because you had the courage to walk away. How many times have you gotten caught up into something, into a life, and you were too afraid to act, and then when you try to act or when you begin to voice something or to voice some kind of a vision for yourself, you went to somebody and because they themselves were too afraid to do something in their lives, their negative voice spoke into you into your life and then you simply didn't act. How many times? I can tell you that that, is, that has happened to me more often than not and I regret it because there's things that I really thought I was going to do but because I listened to a negative voice. Now I'm not talking about wise counsel. I'm just talking because I listened to a negative voice, I walked away. Sometimes our close relationships really do work against you. You know, something that's very important here, and that has to do with failure. You know, failure can be our greatest teacher. 
And I think that I heard this from Archbishop Dr. Peter Jensen, who's just this massive guru kind of guy and who's is elderly. And I think he's probably in his, his late 70s, maybe early 80s. Um, but he made this comment. He said that failure is one of the best educations that you can get. Think about it. Failure is the one of the best educations you can get because when you fail at something, then you learn what doesn't work. When you are trying to risk something, when you are trying to engage in a high-risk activity, you may fail because the risk of failure is so much higher. But then if you fail, then you have just invested in an education that the person down the street who's never willing to risk anything will never learn. And I think that there's some real truth to this. The lower the risk, the lower the return. The higher the risk, the higher the return. And regardless if you fail or succeed, the return equals the risk. And I think that is so important in life. Again, we're not talking about being reckless. So I, I hope that, you know, by now at, you know, minute 25 or however we are, uh, that you, you understand. I'm not talking about recklessness, but I am talking about finding that internal courage deep down inside of you that says, I'm willing to move. Okay, let's move to the third barrier. So here's the third barrier, suppressing the genuine calling for some other voice. You know, I can't tell you how many times that when I was at work and was uh, just before I was really wrestling with this, there was a season where I was just simply suppressing the voice. I was like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to believe it. Uh, the idea of just believing it was depressing to me. And, it, it, and, and part of that depression just simply flowed out of the fact that I wasn't doing what I envisioned or what I heard this voice say. And so there was just this disconnect in my life. And, you know, I think that that is an emotional response that sometimes we have to kind of work through because and let's just face it. There may be times in your life where you simply can't respond, but there may be ways for you to flesh out that voice without having to respond or having to act um, on what you're hearing. But here, what I'm really, really getting at is, you know, when you suppress that calling, that is you just push it down and you don't listen to it. You are actually losing a part of yourself. Now, you know, the great example, and I, and I love this. Okay. So last week I took my kids and, and, uh, my wife to, uh, Sanibel Island. I love Sanibel Island. Let me just tell you, it was my happy, happy, happy place. And, um, <laughs> I, I absolutely, when I go to Sanibel, I just disconnect. I mean, I just, my brain just goes, and, and I'm, and I'm just, uh, you know, relaxed and enjoy it. And so one of the things that I did was I went to the Red Box, which by the way, got to check out Red Box, absolutely incredibly cheap prices on DVDs. That's a little plug for them. I don't get any affiliate commission. I'm just really stoked about what I found. But anyways, I, um, I went there and we rented a bunch of Disney movies. And one of the movies that we rented was the movie Inside Out. Now, if you, you know, if you saw the movie Inside Out, great. You know what I'm, where I'm driving at. But for those of you who didn't, like me, you know, who you might not have uh, had the opportunity to actually afford to go to that movie. You know, here's this Disney movie, and essentially what it what it does is it personifies our emotions into these characters like joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger. 
And it, it shows these emotions in, as voices inside our head. And so in the, it, it takes place in this girl's mind and it shows these interactions. So when she would get angry, then the angry voice would, or the angry um persona would come in and take over. I mean, he was hysterical. And then you had joy. He was always just the most joyful person. And then sadness. He was so melancholy about everything. And and the way they did it was just really, really cool. But what they did was they actually showed, you know, what voices would look like. And, and, and here's the thing. Through some strange events, Two of the voices, that is joy and sadness, suddenly were sucked out of the command center. I mean, it's a Disney movie. What are you going to do? And then the only voices that were left were fear, disgust, and anger. And what they did so, really it was remarkable what they did. What they showed was what does a life look like when fear, disgust, and anger are completely in control and suppressing the other voices or the other emotions. And so, you know, a long story short, they they really um, did such a great job of showing that. I think that that applies here. That is, is that when you're suppressing this inner voice, this calling, that you're actually suppressing a, a, a piece of you and you're doing that to your own detriment. You're doing that to, uh, you're doing that in such a way that if you are suppressing that voice, you're losing a piece of yourself. And that is not frankly a very healthy thing to do because what we know about God's calling is that he, he's designed you with a purpose. He has designed you with particular wiring and in a particular work. I love Seth Godin. He's 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 a brilliant marketer, brilliant idea. But he he always talks about you got to go do your work. It doesn't matter if you make money, but you need to be doing your work. If you're suppressing that calling, then you are in a sense suppressing the work that God has given you to do. Read Ecclesiastes and understand the relationship between the work and what God has given. But suppressing the call. I think it's an incredible danger and it's something that we do to the detriment of ourselves. So, you know, you know, what's at risk here? You know, what's really at risk if you don't answer that call? Now, you might answer that call and say, I don't want anything to do with it. And I promise you, over a period of time, that voice will be lost. It really will. But if that voice is still speaking loudly, let's just kind of think through what's actually at risk by not following your call. Well, I'm part of a mastermind group for pastors, and, and that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting story in of itself, and I, I don't want to get into that right now, but um, one of the things that our leader has challenged us to do is to reconnect with our personal callings. Now, at first, you know, I was probably like you, like, oh, calling, whatever, and I, I you know, I really did, I, I think I had a little bit of a negative attitude, but as he challenged us to kind of work through it and, and really to begin to journal and to think through it, I started reading a book by Michael Hyatt and Daniel Harkavee, uh, their book, Living For It, and some ideas connected for me. So here's the idea. In their book, they talk about something called life drift. And if you're a follower of Michael Hyatt, uh, he talks about how he and his wife, Gail, uh, were out snorkeling one day and then they got caught up in a rip current and they were miles out and they had to you know, swim all the way back to the shore and they were exhausted. And the whole point that he tries to make in this is that they ended up in a destination that they didn't want to be at. And I think that idea applies to calling. You see, calling is an internal beacon. It's this internal voice that's driving and guiding you in the direction that you are to go. 
And so that when you are suppressing that calling or not following or not even answering or ignoring or whatever you want to, you know, however you want to describe it, if you are doing that, then you are at the highest risk for life drift. And it's interesting because what Harkavi and, and Hyatt say is that if you do that, then you're really, uh, there's there's costs and dangers that they point out. And I think one of the greatest examples that they actually demonstrate is when a marriage is not intentionally being crafted, it's not intentionally being um, attended to and spoken into and thought about that eventually the marriage suffers and sometimes it ends in divorce. And, the, and you know, and the people are like, like, how did this happen? And it's because they're not investing in their spouses. And that's the same with you and your calling. If you're not investing in that calling, if you're not taking the time to uh, work that out and to answer it, you know, you can get to a point and you say, well, how did my life get to here? And I think that that's one of the great risks. So how do you know? How do you know that you have a calling and i think we all do so i think a better question is is how do you flesh out this calling so part of this mastermind group uh with my good friend dear friend pastor ken love who's the state pastor of florida ministries he gave us these four questions and it's really four questions but like you know all pastors they give you a question and then they give you two other three questions so it ends up probably being like six or seven but let me just give you these four questions or these four categories to help you kind of think through your calling. So here's the first one. I love this. What is the compelling force in my life? Is it survival or my own needs? Isn't it that really speak to that first barrier that I was talking about, about money and, you know, you know, what is it? What are the things that are compelling me to move forward? Is it a deep sense? Is there something that's deep down inside of you that is coming out? Or are you simply just reacting to the environment? What is that compelling force in your life? Here's the second question. What is the calling from you to which I cannot help but respond? Now, that is a great question. Listen to this question again, okay? Ready? What is the calling from you to which I cannot help but respond? Think about that for just a moment. Whenever you get around a person who knows, you just know there's something about them, you're going to respond to them. Now, you may not buy it. You may say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Um, you know, that's okay. Not everybody's going to respond to you, but, but you know, what is it about your calling that there is a response? It may be yes or no, but you're going to respond. Are you living out your life in such a way that so they recognize that you are living that authentic life that I'll call him? I mean, it's an incredible question. Think through that one. Here's the third question. If the people in my life were to describe the calling that I am leading toward, what would they say? How do others see you? See, I think that a lot of the times the problems that we run into with our barriers where people are uh, looking at us is that sometimes we don't live authentic lives. We don't actually share what's going on, and it's sometimes rightfully so. But sometimes we don't share about who we really are. We suppress it or we, we hide it. And then when you actually begin to say, hey, I want to do this, all of a sudden people are looking at you like, what? Are you crazy? So, you know, if people were to describe your calling, what would they say? You know, how, you know, what, what is it that they're seeing in your life? Here's the fourth question. What do you want to be the compelling calling in your life? And that really gets to that bottom line 
calling point? What is it in your life? You need to think through that. When you sit down and you say, this is, this is what I'm hearing, whether or not you think that comes from God or are you thinking that, you know, whether or not that's coming from inside in terms of that inner dialogue that I was talking about earlier, whatever it is in your life, what is it that you want to be the compelling calling in your life? As for me, here's the thing. As I went through this exercise, I realized one thing. Ultimately, my own compelling calling is this, is that I want to point people, that is, I want to point you to Jesus Christ and his gospel and his redemptive work. I am a Christian, and I am not ashamed of being a Christian. I think it is the truth, and I am willing uh, to, to stake my life on it. I am willing to reorganize my entire life around it. But here is the thing. For me, that fleshes out this way, and it's the point of this entire podcast, and that is by advancing hope, crafting purpose, and shaping transformation. Because when I point people to Jesus, that is what I'm looking for, hope, purpose and transformation and I think that that is the key to real and genuine life change and that is the voice that I hear inside of my head and that's actually why I sit behind this microphone to talk with you because that's part of my calling what is the calling that you have in your life let me just encourage you this way it takes time it takes time to work through a calling i you know and in fact what's the most encouraging thing is this i i heard a a coach and actually uh i heard him today really and uh, his name is dr scott livingston and i will link to him in my show but dr scott livingston he said this and it was profound he said he said the greatest tool for personal development. Let me say it again. The greatest tool for personal development is journaling. That is the discipline of sitting down and putting thought on paper. He said that's where we see the greatest return on a person's own development program. And so I don't know about you, but that's something that I do. And I just have a simple journal that I picked up and I write in that, and I can tell you it's been a transforming discipline in my life where I have just borne out my soul. And when I was wrestling with calling, when I was wrestling with this issue, I spent the time journaling it out. And I can tell you it's one of the greatest things that I've ever done. So listen, in, in, in really in wrapping this up today, what is the calling in your life? Are you fearful of it or are you excited about it? Are you are you ready to go and to answer that call or are you afraid of it because of what it's saying? No matter what it is, if that calling ultimately that you believe is from God, what you need to realize is it is for your own good. It's not for the good of anyone else, but ultimately it is for your own good to the benefit of everyone else. Hey, listen, I hope this was helpful to you. As always, you can go to my website and find the resources that are available there. And also you can find the points that I've made here on this uh, show today. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, and remember, the choice is yours. You can answer your calling. You know, listen, finally, one thing that would be very helpful 
to uh, to me is if you would take the time and the opportunity to rate this podcast onto iTunes and to give it stars. Listen, I, it really helps uh, get the word out, and uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening, and I will be with you next time. You're listening to a Verve Creative production.